Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. There is so much we can do to make this world a kind of better, happier place. There is so much we can do to change the world. If you want to support It's Good to Know and the work of Rabbi Manus Friedman, please visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support to join the community. In this episode of Ideas That Change the World, Rabbi Manus Friedman and Honi Malecki discuss Gamzu Latova. Everything is for the best. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Ideas That Change the World. My name is Khani Malecki, and I'm hosting the show together with Rabbi Manus Friedman, who we have the privilege of speaking to every single week. Um, so we were discussing ideas to talk about today, and Rabbi Friedman mentioned how about talking about the idea of Gamzula Tova, that everything is for the best. So I kind of said to Rabbi Friedman, I said, look, I have such a good life. I, I, I don't need a, I, I don't have a challenge with Gamzula Tova. Uh, for me, I, I really try to live my life in a way that everything is for the best. Now, I know that sounds a bit arrogant, but the honest truth is I am very blessed, Baruch Hashem. I have children, I have Parnassa, we have health, um, and I have Shalom Bayis. I mean, those are the big four, I think. And, uh, and we're, we're, I, my wife and I were constantly amazed by how blessed we are, but I'm also reminded that I was once talking to a friend of mine who, uh, who things weren't going so well for him in certain areas. And I was talking to him about the idea of betachen. You got to have betachen and trust that everything that happens, Hashem is really has your back. And he said to me, he said, Khani, it's easy to talk that way when he has your back. When, and right now he doesn't have when my you back. Know you know he has it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I don't feel that he has my back right now. And and it it's something which always stayed with me because I realized that although we're very, very thankful when things are going well, just keep a hold of it. We got to keep a hold of ourselves and remember that that those are the easy times. What's important is to be thankful and have bitachin and trust in God when things aren't going so well. So of course, it's easy to 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 have betachen and to feel that everything's going for the best in the easy times. But not all times are easy. There are some times that are objectively bad. A person has an addiction. A person lost a um, a, a relative. I mean, that's there's no coming back from that. There's no a person who loses a child. Um, and the question is. Or even something as severe, just to jump there for a second, as persecution, the Holocaust, the Crusades, the Inquisition. These are all very hard to say to that guy on the burning at the stake or to his little kid, Gamzula Tova. It's not even that it's hard to say. It's not right. It's, 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 it's sadistic. It's sadistic to say that persecution is Gamzula Tova. So... That being the case, what does it mean? What does Gamzula Tova mean? What does it mean when we say Hashem has our backs, we have trust that He's going to take care of us, but we don't always feel that way because objectively it's not always true. There's also the statement that God never gives you anything you can't handle, and then you can't handle it. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) I said that to somebody, I can't handle that. (laughs) So, So what does it mean? 
These are these are very important issues, very important questions. So there are there are I think three different degrees of optimism or positivism. The first thing is the good outweighs the bad, which means I don't know what to make with the I, I don't know what to make of the bad. It's bad, bad, bad. That's it. But the good is better. But the good is better. And and there's more of the good than of the bad. Like, for example, and the Rebbe uses this example. You see a guy, he's in terrible, terrible pain. He's in agony. And you think to yourself, what kind of life does this guy have? His life is worthless. Look at the pain. So, wait a minute. A half hour ago, he wasn't in pain. 30 years, he wasn't in pain. After the pain passes... He won't be in pain. He won't be in pain again. So you're judging his life by a momentary, right? So what about the rest? And that's the attitude that nobody ever promised you a perfectly uh, utopian existence. But if you if you weigh the the good against the bad, life is good. And the same is true historically. Jews suffer. Always. Well, not always. <laughs> it sounds, it seems that way. Well, my grandmother <laughs> might differ with that. <laughs> she seems to be suffering. No, I was just kidding. My <laughs> not, so, but yeah. so the first thing is, don't judge life by the moments. Right? Or somebody co comes into an operating theater, theater and <laughs> there are these guys with masks and knives and they're cutting this guy up. And he's tied down. He's helpless. Is this a crime or is this life-saving? So now we're talking about reinterpreting what we're seeing. So the second step is it's for the good. Nobody wants an operation, and no one should ever have to have an operation. And and the consequences, the, the side effects, the lingering effects, it's all it's all painful, difficult, and so but it's for the good. So now we're saying the bad that you're noticing, it's not that bad. It's for the good. We had this um, kid in camp. He was running. It was a day camp. He was in, in New Jersey. He was running. He was playing. He, was, he tripped on something. He broke his leg. Father was furious. Negligence. He was going to sue the camp. Whatever. Anyway, to make a long story short, this man worked at the World Trade Center. And on September 11th, he had to miss work because he had to take the kid to the hospital to have the cast removed. Is that a real story? Yes. Wow. And he called up to apologize to the camp. Wow. So the kid breaking his leg, not good. Nothing good about it. But it was for the good, saved his father's life. So that's the second positive uh, spin. The third one is really very special. I know, because we know in Hasidus, everything seems to work in threes, and the third one's always very special. So what's this one? <laughs> this, this is the Derekotachainim level. <laughs> this one is, the, the event itself is good. It's yeah. not only a prelude to something good, it is good. The pain was good. The, the pain, break was the, good. everything, the whole thing, right? 
So in terms of positive attitude, before we get to trust in God, just a positive attitude. A person says, my life stinks. You want to break that down a little bit? How about this good part of you? How about that good part? How about So so many of the, of the letters to the Rebbe that people write in, I'm depressed, I'm discouraged. And the Rebbe says, what are you talking about? You're successful at this. You may get did a great job at that. You have this fantastic opportunity. What do you mean? What's, what's with this negativity, right? In other words, they're not noticing all the good. So I had this story about this woman who, in South America, she lost a child. I flew down there to, 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 you know, to speak, for a speaking tour. And when I arrived, I was really miserable and anticipating the hotel room so that I can recover. And uh, the, the rabbi there who picked me up, as we're driving, he says, Let's just make a little stop. Let's just make a little stop. Because <laughs> there's this woman who is severely depressed. She hasn't left her apartment in months, wasn't, that won't talk to anybody, and they're really worried about her. But she finally agreed to talk to me, so we'll stop on the way to the hotel. So, of course, I was... I was. There's no hotel. Not, not happy. <laughs> they didn't even book you a room. <laughs> I was not happy about that. I mean, what do you say to a woman who is severely depressed? But mostly it bothered me that no warning, no, you didn't ask me, you didn't tell me. No. Anyway, we went up there to make a long story short. The woman was terrible, terribly, like she had given up on life completely. There was nothing left. Empty. An empty vessel. And she tells me how great the boy was. 19 years old, died in a car accident. So when she finishes... I said, wow, what a great kid. And you had him for 19 years. She was not impressed. So I said, I understand that the shock is horrible. But what if there were no shock? What if, what if there was no surprise? Same event, no surprise. God tells you up front, there's this great soul needs to be born for 19 years. And God asks you, would you please be his mother? No surprises. What would you have said? And she said, absolutely not. Which caught me by surprise, because most people would say yes. Eh? Yeah, we can imagine the pain. That's how deep the pain was. So just spontaneously, I said, absolutely not. It's a good thing God didn't ask you. <laughs> And the floodgates opened up. She cried her heart out, finally. And she had a good, healthy, cathartic. And she came back to life in front of my eyes. It was, I, I can't describe this. Unbelievable. I mean, so intense, so real. From, from literally resurrecting the dead. Anyway, I'm back in the car. And I was thinking how upset I was because they didn't ask me. And then I realized if they had asked me, I would have said, absolutely not. And it would have been the wrong answer. Good thing they didn't ask you. It's a good thing <laughs> they didn't ask me. Because that was an incredible experience. So 
one of the thoughts that we should carry in mind is you're upset because you didn't expect it. This is not what you thought. Uh, you wanted to go to the right. You ended up on the left. How often do we excel at things that we never intended to do? So God has more confidence in, in us than we have in ourselves, and he puts things on our plate and says, handle it. We should be thankful for that. Because if God asked us every time, we would just embarrass ourselves with the wrong answer. You want to have a house full of kids? No. <laughs> you want to have some bills to pay? No. How about a challenge in life? Oh, no. Absolutely not. And what would we amount to? Nothing. Nothing. We'd be useless creatures. Yeah. So I think that people can resonate as difficult as it might be with the idea that we, that yes, there is more good than bad and focus on the cup being half full. Or, or at least or, balance. Or yeah, or focus on the cup being three quarters full. And I think that people could even go to that second step and say, you know what? I'm not focusing on the negativity at all. I'm only going to focus on the good. I know everything's good for, uh, for a good reason. I don't know why this terrible thing had to happen. I don't know why I had to go through this, this, uh, this massive loss in my life and this terrible devastation. But inside, somewhere, I find comfort in the fact that I know that everything's for the good. But this third level that you're talking about, that everything that happens is good, not that it's good, it's going to be good, or it's, it's, gonna, it's, it's good because of a certain result that we anticipate or that we'll never see, but Hashem knows about. We're saying that the actual devastation is a good thing. I mean, that's a, that's, if I didn't know a little bit more about Hasidus, I'd think that you're, you're exaggerating, you're being hyperbolic, but I know that a little bit of Hasidus, so I, but I still don't understand. How could you possibly say that the devastation is necessary and not just necessary, but it's good? The destruction is good. I mean, it, it, I, I'm not sure what your answer is going to be, but it, it, it'll take, I don't know how anybody could even accept an answer to this question. Well, the first thing is, when we see somebody who does have that attitude, we are very impressed. It's, it's, it's bigger than life, right? So even if I can't have that awareness or that knowing that there is such a thing is humbling at the very least. But what it takes to get there is that you have to think of life differently or of reality differently. Some people think of the fact of life. If you think about the facts of life, pain is no good. That's a fact. Tragedy, God forbid. Disappointment, frustration, no good. Factually, it's not good. What do you mean by factually? In other words, in my experience. In the fact of life, right, in the way life is, this is not life. It goes against life. It's a... But if you think of reality as purpose, there's a plan, something is happening, we're in the progress of something, we're in the service of some vast eternal plan, 
then you get a completely different picture of, in other words, some people thrive on the meaning of life rather than the fact of life. Like that famous story the Al-Tadebbe gave a chassid a blessing, he should live long. And the chassid said, oh, that's a blessing? Not if it's empty years. So if it's going to be empty years, then it's not a blessing. So what does empty years means? The fact is you'll live long. And to him, that was not life. To the chassid, life meant meaningful days, meaningful existence, not just the fact of existence. So, you know, somebody says, are you alive or did you just forget to die? <laughs> <laughs> like no truck hit you, so you're alive? That's not a life. So if we're looking at the meaning and the service and the purpose of life, then we measure things very differently. It can take you to that level where whatever works towards the purpose is fine. It is not only fine with me. That's life. That's life. So let's not talk about the really difficult, you know, tragedies of. Let's talk about poverty. Like Tevye says, it's no shame to be poor. It's no great honor either. <laughs> but actually, when he asks that question. Would it spoil some vast eternal plan if I were a wealthy man? The answer is yes. It is necessary in the vast eternal plan that you be Tevya, that you be who you are, and have a little business where you make some cheese <laughs> and, you, and you peddle it. To the... Yes, that is the vast eternal plan. We think, but if I were rich, it would be even better. What would be better? My existence, not the vast eternal plan. So if I'm dedicated... Or use the same terminology before, the facts of life would be better, Yes, but not the meaning of life. Right. So if I'm looking at the fact of life, I can't, I can't go there. I can't go to where everything is good. No. But if I'm talking about the meaning of life, which means... I am part of a vast eternal plan. I can't just look at myself and say, well, why do I have to be poor? I could be rich. That's a very tiny part of the picture. So if you look at the bigger picture, everything has its purpose. Every pain, every disappointment has its purpose. And if you're living a purposeful life, that's life to you. So there's no, why can't I, well, you know, would it be so terrible if, if things were different? Yes, it would be terrible. Or like this, kids in, in a school were given an assignment. If I were God, I would what? And every kid came up with brilliant ideas. of how, And one kid wrote, if I were God, I'd probably do what God does, is doing. So... We may not be able to get to that place where emotionally I feel completely good with the bad. But at least knowing that that's possible and knowing that I'm lacking that softens the blow. Is this something that we should strive for? In other words, how do we tell? Because poverty is, is actually probably 
a great example of suffering in our times because so many people are just struggling to uh, to live paycheck to paycheck. A, a family, uh, we live in Crown Heights uh, with the cost of schooling, a large family. We have a lot of children, uh, kosher food, the Yom Tovim. Um, people are saying that conservative estimates, <laughs> paying your taxes and some medical insurance, um, and maybe even putting some money into your IRA is it, you, $150,000 to $200,000 a year. But the average teacher here in our schools makes sixty to $70,000, um, even if they're both working, which is very, very difficult in our families because of all the children. So, so you know, even if they're both working, so they're making a bit more than that. But people over here are struggling more than you can imagine. Um a close friend of mine who I thought was doing well was it told me that he uh, a couple of years ago he came to his uh, mailbox and found that the lock was broken, and so he called someone to fix it. And the guy says, "I can fix it for twenty bucks." He couldn't find twenty bucks. He looked in his pocket. He looked in his drawer. He looked in his bank account. Didn't have twenty bucks. How do you tell a person like that that this is good right now? Right now, it's good. Not just. In theory, it could be good. How do we change the approach of people who are experiencing this difficulty and show them, no, you, you don't have a penny in your pocket and it's all good, it's great. Smile, be happy. Well, that's that's why I'm saying the only way that can happen is if you have a different definition of good. If to you, meaningful means good, then yeah, this is meaningful. See, but the last thing you want, and I think this is this is universally true, poverty stinks. All everybody agrees. You don't want to compound the problem of poverty with another one. With the sense of failure. Right. It's not just you're poor. In your mind, you're a failure. Your life is a failure. Because look at everybody, everybody else is rich and you're poor. So you're the failure and your life is bad. That's got to go, because there you have an option. You don't, have, you don't always have an option to be rich or poor. But in terms of the agony that you put yourself through, if you're poor, your life is a failure? That's horrendous. And there's no truth to it whatsoever. Nothing, nothing. Your life is bad because you're poor? What do you consider life? A bank account? So to say my life is bad? No, my bank account is bad, which, which, is, which is bad. <laughs> but not your life. So here's an important thing, if we have a minute. What is the definition of bad? When we say bad things happen to good people, what's a bad thing? I know painful things. I know tragic things. I know frustrating things. What are bad things? Well, those are the bad things. <laughs> Tragedy is bad, pain is bad. No, it's not. Not necessarily. All pain is bad. Even death, every death is bad. But even take childbirth, which is, I think, such a great example because maybe we can understand this one, uh, that through the pain and the suffering of labor, you suddenly get the, the miracle of life. But was the pain good? Oh, that, that's, that's that higher level. Let's go down a step here. 
the definition of bad. It turns out the only correct use of the word bad is to describe something that should not have happened. You stub your toe and it shouldn't have happened, then it's bad. An old man passes away in his bed surrounded by his family and dies. It shouldn't have happened? I got to tell you something. We were blessed we're blessed to be part of a very very large family and my great-grandmother's the legendary Baba Mariasha and she passed away at 106. And uh, at the funeral relatives who hadn't seen each other in decades were uh, were meeting up and there was this absolute celebration people were laughing joking with each other and there was a reporter there and she said is this is this the way all of these funerals are is everybody happy and celebrating and dancing and <laughs> taking pictures <It's> bizarre <laughs> but yeah that's a, a good example yeah so by definition pain is not bad it's painful death is not bad it's tragic so what is bad? Wrongful death. False labor pains. <laughs> mm. Young person dying. Yeah. yeah, that shouldn't happen. So really, when you use the word bad, it's got to be limited to, oh, that shouldn't have happened. Unnatural. Unjustified. Mm -hmm. So first of all, any of us know what should or shouldn't happen? Of course, we think we do. Oh, no, that shouldn't happen. We don't know. We can't know what should or shouldn't happen. So we deal with the pain because the pain is real. But the badness, we don't know. So how can we call it bad when we don't know what happened before? We don't know what. So how do you know it shouldn't have happened? That's a judgment call, and you don't have to suffer from that. You have a choice there. Secondly, if you believe in God, really believe in God, what do you mean something happened and it shouldn't? How did it happen? If it wasn't God's plan, if God didn't make it happen, who did? The devil? <laughs> what is it, devil worship? The Sutton did it? Sutton doesn't do things. So to think something happened and it shouldn't have happened is literally believing in a good God and a bad God. It shouldn't have happened because God is good. So who made it happen? The bad one. Right. That's completely unacceptable. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it's just, it's just satisfying <laughs> to feel bad. And quetch. Yeah. Oh, it's a Jewish pastime. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> a, I, I was upset about something the, the other day and my wife pointed out to me that it was actually not as it seemed. I was really disappointed about that. <laughs> I was really, I was, I was in the moment of the negative zone. I was I enjoying the moping. Complaints. <laughs> I, <laughs> it felt nice and warm to be upset, you know. So here's the truth. At least in our heads, even if it can't bring it to the heart and calm the heart in a painful moment, what goes on in the head, at least 
alleviates or, or modifies. Nothing bad ever happened in the world. Because it can't. What shouldn't happen can't happen. See, that's the idea that life is purposeful. Everything that happens happens for a reason. When there's no reason, it can't happen. It's a, it's a fascinating concept because then you could never really be upset. You can be in pain. You can be in pain, but you can't be upset. Right. So that's why the sages ask, why do the righteous suffer? Not why do bad things happen? And this is really beautiful. We should be sensitive to another person's pain even when we know that it should happen. Mm. That's compassion. Right. Compassion doesn't mean I'm, I'm objecting because this shouldn't have happened. That's justice. You're demanding justice. Shouldn't have happened. This is wrong. Every kid has that. It's mine. It's not fair. <laughs> There's no special sensitivity there. But imagine if you knew, like, like for example, labor pain, right? Nobody says it's bad. In fact, at some point in the ninth month, the mother can't wait for that pain to start already. Let's get on with it, right? But then, as a result, there's an indifference. Indifference? To the pain. I go up to the maternity ward. And there are women screaming in agony yeah, yeah, yeah. for 13 hours. And the nurses walk around, the doctors come and go. And like, don't you hit a woman crying? Yeah, she's in labor. So? So that's it? No compassion? Is this a commentary on epidurals? <laughs> we'll leave that Absolutely for now. Absolutely <laughs> not. But the sages are saying, we know that there's a reason for all the suffering. We don't like it. Why should the righteous suffer? Oh, for a good reason. I don't care if it's a good reason. It's got to stop. Suffering has to. So all of this we're talking about, having a positive attitude, that's only as we see ourselves and our own pain. When it comes to someone else's pain, there is no positive spin. And you're right. You can't come to somebody in pain and say, it's all for the good. You're a monster. So is it like double standard? Uh, yeah, it's kind of a double standard. <laughs> and why is that? Why can't I go to my friend and say, it's all for the good? Because human, human decency uh, makes that unacceptable. It's not polite, that's it? Oh, no, no, no. It's worse than not polite. It's, it's callous. It's insensitive. It adds pain because you're not recognizing or, or, or validating their suffering. It, it works much better, by the way, just in practice. You go to somebody who's in pain and you simply say, this is really bad. Uh, they feel much better than if you tell them, oh, it'll be good. It's all for the good. You're not, you're not dealing with the reality, right? So you may be right. Nothing bad is happening. But the person doesn't need a philosophy I right now. It, it's so interesting, though, because but if we're truly believing that, that it's all for the good, then why, can't, why shouldn't I? I understand the callousness and the disrespect and the impoliteness of it. But 
if it's the truth, why would we even say the words, oh, wow, this is bad? The pain is bad. Because we're talking, okay, so when we're looking at ourselves, we look at the, at the meaning, and when right. we look at others, we look at the, the, at the reality. Right, 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 right. So uh, this, this famous story with, the, with the, the rabbi who was asked how you... Don't get involved in my meaning, basically. <laughs> you right. keep to yourself about your own meaning yeah. and yeah. do the best you can when it comes to the other person. And yeah. before the pain and after the pain, yes, you should share this information with them. Everyone but, should know, but they have to apply it themselves. You can't apply it for them. So that story about the, the rabbi who was asked, how do you accept bad things graciously? And he said, how am I supposed to know? Nothing bad ever happened to me. With that kind of an attitude, if he saw somebody hungry or in pain, would he say nothing bad is happening? I hope not. Yeah. I hope not. Yeah. On the contrary, he is more sensitive to other people's pain. How? How by a person being accepting the goodness that Hashem is giving in our lives, even through the pain, and accepting that it's all good and all positive, how does that make a person more sensitive to someone else's negative? Well, on the one hand, you're right. If I never felt pain, how can I relate to it? It's more than that. If I think that pain is good, why would I ever think it's bad? Yeah. But on the other hand, who is more loving the person who loves himself or the person who doesn't love himself. Now, pop psychology says, if you don't love yourself, how can you love somebody else? If you love yourself, you've used up your love and you can't love anybody else because, you know, you only have so much love. So you only have so much money. If you spend it on yourself, there's less money for charity. If you don't spend money on yourself, you have more money for charity. So if you're not agonizing over your pleasure and pain and so on and so forth, you can be more sensitive to others. Right. So I'd like to jump to the third level um, because that seems to be the most revolutionary of all, and I don't even know if it's attainable. And if it is, we'd like to hear about that. How do you accept and then approach the idea that the pain is good, not that it is for the good, but the suffering itself is, is a good part of the process. I, I, it's beyond me. But you see in the Torah, you see two, two expressions where in, on the one, in one event, God says through the Novi, through the prophet, God says, I abandoned you, I forsake you for a moment, but I will gather you back forever. In another place, God says, what, did I divorce you? Show me. Show me your, your, your get. Show me your document. I never divorced you. So here are the two levels. One is, yes, I left you, but just for a second. That's true in, in perspective. The other is, left you? I never left you. I've just been uh, away, out. <laughs> I wasn't obvious. Right. But I never left you. So even in the time of pain, did God leave us? Did our lives just lose their meaning? Did the quality of life just went out the window? No, not at all. Not at all. 
Why is pain any less meaningful than pleasure? It's not. We prefer pleasure for obvious reasons. <laughs> I think the people the reason that people don't like pain I don't really, I didn't ever think I'd have to give a reason for this. <laughs> but the reason people don't like pain is because it takes away from life. It really takes your life away. That's how it seems. Yeah, it I mean, ruins you can't your take life. It. You can't take it. Yeah. But you see, like in the story with that woman in, in South America, having that son for 19 years, she said she would have refused. And then when she thought of what she had just said, the, the wrongfulness of it struck her, where it, it, it got through the depression, it cut through the pain, and it got to her heart and brought her back to life. What was it? Your son, this fantastic kid, you just said you don't want him? What did you just say? Well, if I can't have him for 25 years, I don't want him for 19 years. What did, what? What did you just say? So, of course... The pain, the tragedy, the shock, the, it, it's horrible. But you don't want your kid? What are you saying? Of course you want him. In other words, is I, if this is life, I don't want it. Yes, you want it. What's, what's wrong with you? You want life. Of course, you prefer a pleasant life, and I don't blame you. And we should all have pleasant lives and no pain at all. And one of the reasons for looking forward to Mashiach is because that's the only answer to why the righteous suffer. The end of suffering is the only good answer. And then there's that fantastic answer from Elie Wiesel. I've been thinking of him <laughs> this whole conversation. Yeah. yeah. How he managed? It just his whole story. And even going as far as to say that he didn't think God was at Auschwitz, which, you know, is pretty extreme, but understandable. But look at how much meaning it gave his life to be in pain and upset with God. <laughs> that was his whole career, his whole identity, everything. So he, he once said to somebody, I can tell you why there was a Holocaust, but I'm not going to. He said, why not? He said, because when I tell you, you'll become a Nazi. And the guy said, what are you talking about? I'm Jewish. He says, look, you come to me with agony in your eyes, with pain, and, and you're telling me you can't sleep because how could such a thing happen? And you want me to tell you why it happened, and I can. And when I tell you and I explain to you why it happened, you're going to say, oh, thank you. Now I feel better. Now I can sleep at night. Now I can sleep at night. You've become a Nazi. Yeah. So when we complain about other people. What was the answer? What? What was Elie Wassell's answer that he wouldn't say? <laughs> he didn't have one. <laughs> what he was saying was, you don't want an answer. You would accept an answer? If I give you some nice words and a good idea, then you can accept the death? Come on, what are you saying? When you ask why, you don't mean give me an answer. You mean bring them back. That's the only answer. So it's important that we know that we would never accept any good answer. When Moshe went to, to Pharaoh for the first time, and Pharaoh got upset and enslaved the Jews even more, Moshe comes back to God and says, why did you do this? 
Did God explain why he did it? No. God said, watch as I take them out of Egypt with a strong arm. That's all Moshe wanted to hear. He didn't want a dissertation on the value of suffering. So when he said why, he wasn't asking for an answer. He was lodging a complaint. And that's what we do when we ask about the pain and the suffering of others. Of our own pain, we can make sense. Sometimes. But never of somebody else's. And how would this third step, how do we approach that in our own lives when we're dealing with real suffering, whether it's loss of a family member or just very, very difficult circumstances. How do we say, I mean, is it possible? Should we be striving to say, I'm in pain and I'm and I mean, the Torah gives us room for pain. It's Shiva and Shloshim. I mean, those are grief, yeah. grief. Yeah. I mean, I accept the grief and I, and I embrace the grief at the same time. I know somehow that God is good and this is a good thing. Is that, I mean, is that the extent of, is this how we apply? Is that attitude how we apply this idea that everything is good? Or is it more than that? It does it change anything? Yes, I think it does. Just knowing it changes, at least subtly. So you take yourself up the ladder. The first thing you say is, I'm not the only one suffering. It's not like uh, my destiny, I'm being selected for. People suffer. They're suffering in the world. Secondly, there's so much good. These kids were studying Job in Talmud Torah. They can barely read Hebrew, but they're studying Job. And I, I was asked to be a guest. When I, so I go in there and I say, you know, I, I think this is all wrong. You're living in suburbia. <laughs> trying to figure out how to believe in God when they're suffering. No, you got to figure out how to believe in God when you're spoiled. Oh yeah, <laughs> It's a completely different challenge. Yeah. So we don't know what it means to, to, to really suffer, thank God, right? So we got to realize we're a very blessed generation. We're very... So yes, yes, the pain is real, the suffering is real, but come on, no reason to live? Next step. Even the pain, as much as it hurts, it's not bad. My life is not ruined. Uh, life didn't go sour. The pain hurts. Then you remind yourself, it may even be that this is good. What do I know? What the bleep do we know? And although I can't convince my heart, but at least my head is on straight. And I think that counts for a lot. It can make the difference between despair and survival. So those people who came out of the worst circumstances, what did they do? How did, what did they tap into that allowed them to, to overcome and, and, and be optimistic afterwards? We call them survivors. It's a nasty word. They're much more than survivors. They're, they're life heroes. So at least we can be jealous of them. Even if I can't do it, I can, I can appreciate it. Do you mind, I, I, before we started, you, you 
read to me this message that you had from the film. Do you mind if we read that? Because I think it would be such a powerful way to close this uh, podcast today because it's all in that message. Uh, yeah, I'll change the names to protect the innocent. Yeah. But it's basically a reaction to that story of the woman in, in South America where this guy was having a lot of difficulties and uh, on top of everything, they discovered that they're pregnant with their second child and they really were not ready for this. And so a year later, after the kid was born, they realized what a blessing it was. And then he heard, he heard the story and he said, I understand. Had they asked me whether I want this child, I would have said no. We were hoping for a miscarriage. Uh, thank God. And thank God he didn't asked. ask me. Because it turned our, our family into a family. It helped me overcome the difficult times. My younger, my older kid can't be a brat anymore. <laughs> a lot of good things came from it. Yeah. But, but that's not the point. The point is, had he been asked, he would have said no. So we really have to be grateful that God doesn't ask. It should be a blessing in the morning. Please don't ask me. <laughs> do what you think I should do, and I'll, I'll try to keep up. Thank you so much, Rabbi Friedman. It's been a fascinating journey today uh, on the topic of, it was supposed to be Gamzul but we've really spoken a lot about suffering, which is uh, such a powerful topic as well. And, uh, you know, as you said before, when Moshe went to Hashem and says, why did you do this? And Hashem answers back, watch, I'm going to take these Jewish people out of Egypt. And it's so important to remind everybody that yes, we have all this suffering now, but watch, Hashem's going to take us out of Egypt too. So thank you again for joining us and uh, we'll see you next week. If you want to support It's Good to Know in the work of Rabbi Manus Friedman, please visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support to join the community. This is the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, changing your life for the better, one idea at a time. Like it, share it, and leave us a review. Tune in next week for more ideas that change the world. Let's change the world. Let's change